podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Podcasting to you from the field here in beautiful rural Ireland. I'm Trev Denny and this is Malby on the Spot, your weekly chance. Thanks to Anfield Index Pro to hear the wit and wisdom of Liverpool and Denmark legend Jan Malby as we chat about all things Liverpool Football Club. So let's do it once again. Good evening, Jan. Good evening, Cholo. I hope you're well. I am, my friend. We have... uh, we have ourselves stuck in the middle of an incredibly um, hectic run here. And it started exactly as we'd hoped. Um, last time we spoke, we were looking forward to a couple of games. Um, we've emerged from both of them with very creditable results and uh, comparatively creditable performances, I think. Um, and it's starting to look um, pretty rosy if it didn't already, uh, in the Champions League particular, which was the most recent one. And I think we'll start there because it's the one that's freshest in people's minds. And the Champions League results uh, across the board um, over the, over the couple of nights have been very, very interesting indeed. Um, uh, thrown up a couple of stories, shall we say, um, a couple of very interesting things and set up the second legs in a way that's very, very uh engaging um, for the observers, neutral and not. Uh, so there's a whole lot to talk about. We'll start with our own uh, boys um, who, you know, it was interesting doing the post-match show immediately afterwards. Um, and you'd have to say we absolutely, like to use uh, old-fashioned terms, absolutely trolleyed them in the first half. They had little or no recourse to get out. We were on top of them. It was good football. There were chances created. The match stats will, will bear this out. Yes, they had a little bit of a, oh God, purple patch seems a bit much at the start of the second half when uh, they scored by dint of a, a mistake on our part and had a couple of attempts and maybe a little bit of spring in their step. Um there was a narrative then, Jan, that the substitutes were made and we regained control of the match. I have to say, I find that incredibly disingenuous. Uh, I think, again, statistics will prove um, that I'm probably right on that. Because, if anything, we started to cough up a bit more possession on the back of those substitutions. But something did happen over the course of the the, the rest of the match. Perhaps just that uh, quality began to tell and Really, when you think about the chances missed at the end, the tie could be absolutely what we hoped it would be, which is in, you know, put to bed completely. I suppose it's still tantalizingly alive, uh, you know, considering the, the, the level of the performance. Just, just your overall take, and I know I've put a lot on the table there, but just your overall take on, on the, the showing and what you think the status of the tie is at this age as we're looking forward to the second leg in Anfield. Don't you think, Trevor? 
when when people go to watch football, they, they there's a lot of people who now try to see something that isn't really there. You know, I find that with a lot of people, they they talk about things and you go, okay, I didn't see that might have happened, but the way I saw the game, that isn't important. So hence the reason we're talking about the second half and the way that you listen to people and the way that a lot of people saw that different. Uh, totally agree. I don't think anyone can be in any doubt about the first half. Totally dominates, only going one way. Possibly another couple of, of goals in it in the first half. I, I particularly like the, uh, you know, the most Salah chance where Alexander Arnold plays it over the top. Van Dijk plays it to him and he looks like he's in a bit of trouble, Trent, doesn't he? And he comes towards the ball and he just lets him run between his legs, turns and then he plays that fucking first time pass over the top from Moti, uh, over the top from Moti being clean. Beautiful football, Trevor. That. It's a bit like, notice the third goal we scored, uh, Nabi Keita's pass. And I went, yeah, what a great pass. That's my type of pass into space. And then the shine was taken off a little bit when we saw that he took a slight uh, deflection, but nevertheless. So where are we at with the tie? So the four quarterfinal ties, two of them actually ended up with the away team winning 3-1. That was also in Real Madrid. Now our tie is over. I'm not 100% convinced that the Real Madrid-Chelsea tie is over. I still think Chelsea's a better team than Madrid. Whether they can show it, I don't know. So I think Klopp got everything he wanted from that game. Absolutely everything he wanted from that game. I thought he was very sort of gracious in defeat. He talked him up and he talked up the atmosphere. Uh, but then also, and he waited a while to say this, he he should have scored more goals. And I think he's right. It could have easily been five. Uh, so, in terms of the second leg, there's every chance that the second leg might be a bit like Inter Milan because we've done the job in, 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 in Milan for that one and we came back and we lost one. And every chance of this might be a bit the same. We don't have to win the game. I don't feel they've got enough quality to really hurt us. Uh, so, job done. I mean, never get over, over, overconfident, whatever, but we are so far ahead of Benfica that even should they get a goal and it starts to look a little bit shaky and nervy, uh, I, I just don't see it. Yeah, it's hard to picture an outing where, as you say, even if they do manage to score a goal or two, that we don't manage to respond, um, ourselves. And therefore, it's very tempting to feel like there is a level of security around that. And I suppose that does mean. Uh, to an extent that there might be the opportunity to do what we were hoping there would be the opportunity to do, which is to slightly revolve the team for Jurgen should he need to do so uh, without us um, sacrificing too much solidity. I mean, there is probably a far more defensive lineup that he could pull out in that home leg uh, with attacking talent on the bench should it be needed. And that might be one of the compromises that you know we can make in order to free a few fellas up or save a few minutes in legs or whatever Jurgen feels the need to do. So that is really, really interesting. There's a couple of aspects about this, of that particular game that I want to talk about with you. Um, and then I wouldn't mind just having a look around at the other ties. You've flagged them up a little bit there, and I would like to look at them with you as well, uh, just to get that Champions League section sort of um, tied up in a neat, in a neat little bow. Just a couple of the features there of the match, and I knew, I knew, I, I was watching it and thinking, I, I know that is absolutely purring uh, as he's watching that pass from Trent, because, yeah, it was that lovely little sort of let it run through the legs, but I was trying to explain this to somebody um, on a post-match podcast uh, on the night, and it's it, it can sound a bit daft, but I know you'll know what I'm talking about. 
when you see someone who's just genuinely gifted at the game, they have a way of striking the ball. It's a little bit different to everybody else. And I think Trent Alexander-Arnold has that. It's the way that he strikes that ball naturally. He just has a feel for how to hit the ball and where to hit the ball. The, 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 uh, it's, you know, like, like a, like a top, top notch golfer. It's about feel. And that pass is outrageous. Like, let's be honest, the pass that sets up the, um, the uh, Diaz header, yeah, 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 that, yeah. That, he, that he pushes. That's that's outrageous. That's an outrageous pass. It's just beautifully weighted. But that one to Mo, if he could have finished it, would probably be on like it, it would be in my all-time greatest passes I've ever seen because of the the way it died in front of 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 the kid as he's running in towards goal as well. Obviously, you know our man has got tremendous control. But Jesus, Jan, I mean, he's just, a, he's in a different league, this kid. He really is. I mean, uh, again, when I was going on and on about the technique, uh, my colleague Dave on the show was saying, well, you know, it prompted him to say, well, this guy could be actually the, the best homegrown Liverpool player that we ever have. He's certainly on course to have um, potentially and hopefully a more uh, stellar and, and trophy-laden career than Steven Gerrard. I mean, it's not too much to be talking about this lad in this respect, is it? No, it doesn't look that way. Um, I'm not. I'm not about to suggest he's going to get even better, and he doesn't have to be. Uh, but what I will suggest is that the level he's playing now, he could easily find himself at that level for a number of years. And if you're then still in any doubt, there will be stats to back up every doubt you might have, because his stats, if he continues the way he is, will just be beyond belief, isn't it? But there will be people watching that game. We wouldn't even have noticed that pass as being anything other than just a forward pass. But he's right. I mean, the way he starts, let's not forget he's got his back to play where Mo is and he lets it run through his legs and he turns. And instantly he's seen it. He's got the right club out the bag. He's ready to play that. And it's one of those passes where you go, listen, Mo, you don't have to do anything other than put it in the back of the net because it's going to be right there. It's going to be right in your stride and it's going to be, be set up right in your correct strides, all you do is strike it. Unfortunately, you hit the goalkeeper, isn't it? But yeah, I just, I, it's, it's things like that, Trevor, that, and it sounds, you've got to be careful what we're saying this, but, but the people who miss that, the people who don't see the beauty in that, like we do, they are missing something, Trevor. I'm not suggesting they're not football fans, but they're missing some of the finer points. It's, it's a bit like sometimes when you have a glass of wine and people go, I don't get it. It's a bit like this, isn't it? What is so special about this? It's almost impossible to explain. But if you're, if you're not convinced, have a look again. Sit yeah. back in your chair, have a look again and go and tell me that that wasn't sensational. It's just a treat to be able to watch someone who can do it. And, you know, again, it, it, it's, it's, it's an underrated part of the game. And, you know, you know what's really interesting is the guy who's on the receiving end of that pass We've seen him. He's he's hugely underrated for his passing ability as well, Mo Salah, because people just think about him taking shots on when uh, maybe they're not really on because, you know, um, selfish Mo Salah, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but, you know, he's another fellow with a great eye for a pass. And now we've got we've got Thiago as well, who, you know, uh, even even uh, your bog standard uh, commentator pundits on, on the various uh, satellite channels uh, can see what a wonderful technician Tiago is. 
So it's just a joy to, to be to be able to watch this team. We can play at 100 miles an hour, or we can have a lad who can either play a, a no look pass right in the corner. Bobby Firmino's been in it for years, or take their time, put their foot through it, uh, swing it from outside to in, hit it with fade, hit it with curl, whatever it happens to be. Uh, it's just it, it it's just something as you say. It's another aspect to to revel in. As a Liverpool supporter at the moment, and I, 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 yeah, I, I agree with you. I echo exactly what you're saying. I hope people are able to do that and 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 take joy from it because the, there was nothing but the same old debates after the last two games. From what I could see, just the same old crap. People with the same old hobby horses and not half enough uh, celebration of the of the good stuff. And you know, it, it, to 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 lean into a little bit of a we we had the whole moles a bit of form isn't he at the moment chat as well and in we were doing it live and in the in the uh, discussion that was was forming as we were doing the show we could watch it on discord there were lads who were maybe not quite getting what, what we were saying and they were trying to defend Mo Salah and say he's actually you know he's just been a bit unlucky and all that kind of stuff and, uh, and nobody's saying Mo Salah is suddenly a bad player but the things that he is like world class at just aren't coming off for him in the way that they had been doing. And they had been doing at a rate that was probably unsustainable, if we're being honest yet. So with all that in mind and, and realizing that, you know, he's probably nigh on undroppable anyway. But, you know, there is a situation where you could mix and match if you had to now because of how good Luis Diaz is, because of how effective uh, Diogo Jota is, because Bobby Firmino can come in and do bits. And we know that Sadio Mane is a world-class footballer. So... I'm looking at this game against City now the weekend, and is there is there any scenario at all where you think, well, actually, there might be a, 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 the most effective front line we could pull out might not actually feature Mo Salah? Is that even possible in your in your way of viewing things at the moment? Not not at the moment, Joe. Uh, and I think the best you can sort of hope for is that you would never drop him. You would you would rest him. Would you? you would find a reason to him, isn't it? But I don't think we're at that level yet. But I totally agree with you. Especially at the start of the season, he did things most Salah where I went. This this can't continue, you know. And that wasn't just scoring goals, but it was some of his passes and whatever. And I'm going, this cannot continue, you know. And and it it hasn't. And that doesn't mean all of a sudden that there's a loss of form or whatever. It's just that you, you sometimes you go a level above what you're capable of doing over a longer period. And that's where he ended up. He's he's he is still what he is. He's a handful. So Sunday at Sunday at Yet that he plays all day long, uh, and the big games we got left, I think he plays most of them. He might get a rest against Benfica uh, in the week, isn't it? But at the Yetzad on Sunday, he starts absolutely 100%. Now, you mentioned, uh, we'll leave that, we'll leave the champion, or the Reds Champions League game to one side then, and we'll go back in a minute and have a look at, and, and speak about the, the, the most recent league outing uh, ahead of talking about Manchester City in the league as well. But just to go a little throw, a little tour around the other Champions League ties and see what, what state they're at. You mentioned the Real-Chelsea one. Um, every intention again to look at it, but there are about a million things that I'm juggling at the moment with family. So I missed the game. And just looking at the statistics afterwards, it seems as if Chelsea had quite a lot of attempts, um, but five each on target on the night uh, from which um, Real managed to convert three. Uh, I heard, uh, I heard uh, um, one comparatively popular um, young-ish 
ex-Manchester City right back. Uh, <laughs> we'll leave it at that. Talking about Karim Benzema, and he said, uh, you know, that over the last six months or so, uh, he's convinced them that he's in the same category as Harry Kane. And uh, needless to say, there were some strange looks from the likes of Thierry Henry, who was also on the panel. Um, but this Benzema lad is uh, in the form of his life for what pe- appears to be uh, a, a long, long time now. Um, you know, and incredibly effective uh, for them if if they have five attempts in target and three of them are goals for him. Um do you, you you seem to be suggesting though that ties a little bit more in the balance, um, despite the 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 fact that the that, that Real Madrid went away and won three one. Um, I know the goals, the away goals thing doesn't count, but that is you know an impressive result nonetheless. Why what are you basing that on? Is it because like I said, I can see here that you know Chelsea had about sixty percent of the ball and did have twenty attempts on goal. Is that the is 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 it that they had probably more of a share of the game than their score reflects? Yeah, uh, I, and I and I think they had some. I think they had some chances. Uh, you know, Lukaku's missed a really good header. Kai Havertz has missed missed a chance. Mason Mount has been very unlucky with a shot from distance. And then they made some individual errors that. You probably don't expect Chelsea to make again, uh, and also, you know, I saw Chelsea, uh, sorry, Real Madrid in the previous two games against Paris Saint Germain, and I wasn't overly impressed. But they played well at Stamford Bridge, taking nothing away from. Them. But I'm not just 100. percent I'm convinced the Liverpool tie is over, but I'm not 100 percent convinced about this one. I still think Chelsea's got something to say in 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 this tie, uh, so it'll be interesting. Benzema, great play. I mean. What makes this hat so special is the first goal. The first headed goal is absolutely wonderful, Trevor. Uh, so, so good luck to them, Mr. But no, I still think that tie. Thomas Tuchel is saying no, but I still think it's open. I mean, they got it wrong defensively in the first half, uh, but they put it right in the second half. They'll probably start the same way. And so, yeah, this, this, this is still a game to watch for. I'm looking forward to it. You know, you look at that that Real side, like Chelsea. We've we, we've spoken about before. You look at that Real side, and the the midfield is pretty much the midfield that's been there for a while. And I'm looking at the bench, and you know they have obviously it's Real Madrid. They still have obviously have some talent to take off that bench, but you know it's not maybe just as deep a squad as it has been. Um, you know, Gareth Bale is a little bit of a waning force. I think that's fair enough to say. Uh, Danny Ceballos is whatever he is. Um, and uh, Eduardo Camavinga was the other man who came on on the night. I think Nacho too. And they have um, the likes of Danny Carvajal who's been around and Militao and uh, Alaba there as well. Uh, I'm not convinced of either of the two attackers, either side of Benzema as being in that classic world-class level that, that, that they've had there before. So, I mean, you know, you're looking at that and you're thinking, okay, well, if that is the case, maybe they're not just quite as invincible as they were before. Maybe actually they might be, despite the fact that, as you said, they are, that was a, it was a hell of a result and he's a hell of a striker. They might be, you know, you've, you've, you can't help yourself having one eye on what's to come. So maybe, maybe not quite as, as terrifying as they have been in the past. Although, as you said before in this show, Real Madrid in a final is a different thing altogether, different beast altogether. And just if we can continue on then with the Champions League results, uh, the the other ties are interestingly positioned, to say the least. They're both at 1-0. Um, Villarreal had a 1-0 home win over Bayern. Uh, and I really uh, found this one to be very interesting. As you might expect, very similar sort of level of things. Stats-wise, Bayern, again, had the dominance uh, that Chelsea seemed to have in terms of possession and attempts. 
but that one goal early on um, from Dan Juma uh, has them, like I say, 1-0 up going into the second leg um, uh, at Munich. Uh, I don't know, again, whether that was in any way reflective. The, the, you can only tell so much from the, the match stats. Um, but what I found interesting was to to have a look at the the lineups on the night and the 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 the, the comparative uh, difference in the in the the depths of the squad and you know if, if Real Madrid aren't looking as deep squad wise as they used to, Jesus Christ that uh, that Bayern bench um, certainly has that whiff of of, of being impressive. Um, again, not it's all time great squad depth, but not too bad either when you can take on the likes of Sane and Goretzka and Nicolas Sule. Uh, and they also had, um, uh, Marcel Sabitzer there as well. Um, not too bad, but it's their starting lineup, you know, is very, very impressive. It's a very strong team that they can put out now. Um, strength all the way through it, even if there are one or two getting into that veteran category at this stage, notably their front two. Um, uh, from what you've seen of this, not many people would have predicted that Villarreal would have, have a, a ghost of a chance over two legs. Do you reckon that in the second leg, um, the stats will be borne out in goals uh, and that Bayern will have enough to get past them? They, they should have. Uh, well, I think the, the, the first game is a, it's a fair reflection of the way that Villarreal's manager, Unai Emery, who, who we know from his time at Arsenal and prior to that he was at Paris Saint-Germain, how he wants to play. Uh, he's very good at organising his teams. They're quite comfortable, even when they're under pressure. So I actually went a considerable way to try and stick my neck out to this one. I just didn't see it as clear-cut as everybody else did. Yes, you look at the Villarreal names and you go, well, there isn't much here. No, but they work as a union. Cohesion, they're a really good team. Having said all of that, there's every chance that Bayern Munich might beat them 4 or 5 in, in the return. Because they've got that kind of firepower. You know, they, they've got them. And if what you stick on the pitch to start with doesn't work, then we can bring them off the bench. Uh, the only thing I will say about Bayern Munich is slight warning. I don't think things are as well as they have been. I think there's a bit of uncertainty about the way that Nagelsmann wants to play and that the players are not happy and it's a bit too open. They're giving away too many chances, even in their Bundesliga games that they're winning most of them. But they're not happy with the way they're playing. So, a bit like the Real Madrid game, keep an eye on this one, Trevor. I'm just not sure it's, it could be very clear, but I'm not sure it will be. Very interesting. Very interesting. I certainly will be keeping a close eye on that second leg and hopefully get to see a lot more of the football. And then the last one, the last tie was actually, um, my, my mate is a, a huge City fan, uh, that I work with. He took, uh, along with a few colleagues, a scatter of young lads from our school over to see it and thankfully they got the result that they wanted at least because I'd say it would have been a grim enough trip. I think they went over early in the day, uh, traveling on the ferry and were traveling through the night back. Not my idea of a lovely little trip away at all. I'd have to say I, I, I happily left that to him. Uh, but City, to be fair to them, um, seem to very much dominate that game um if you look purely at match stats again and because of the week i've had uh same excuse didn't get to see it uh but when you see atletico madrid fail to register a shot and never mind a shot on target not a shot and have only 30 percent of the ball i'm going to put it out there 
that they must have been quite heavily dominated. Uh, only 15 attempts from City and only two of them on target. So, I mean, what was most of this game must have been played in the midfield or something, wasn't it? I mean, it's really strange. So I didn't see your friend and the kids there because I was there, Trevor. Uh, I, I, I did the game for Danish TV. It was a typical Atletico Madrid performance. You know, they played five in the back, five in midfield, nobody up front. They, they, they close down all the space. They don't allow you to play in between the lines. And City, I generally think it's hard to get yourself prepared for a game like that. You know, because it's hard to get tempo into the game. The stadium itself, Manchester City, I've been there to many a Champions League games. They're just not a Champions League club at the moment. There's no atmosphere. There was no buzz, you know. So it was difficult. But you could see the importance. Pep Guardiola was desperate for that one goal. I mean, you you kind of go, 1-0 is not a big deal, but it is a big deal when you play Atletico Madrid. Because if you don't get that goal, going there makes it really tough. So that was important for them to get that. Yeah, I mean, no you mentioned no shots, no corners, no real attacking intent. I, I think Burnley would have dominated Atletico Madrid. But having said that, they weren't as bad as I've seen them on other occasions. But uh, yeah. I mean, if you have a choice, Trevor, you would never ever pay to watch them play. Does that mean then, based on what you saw, and you got like, like you say, you got to see them all close and personal? You know, what you're describing there is what I've seen in the most recent games that I've seen from them as well, to an extent. Um, I wish Al Felix and Griezmann up top, and you know, they've got Kondogbia, Koke, Orente across the middle, theoretically. But, you know, like you say, if they want to, they can just be incredibly dogged and, and it's all about closing down spaces and working hard and doing that thing that uh, that gets Diego Simeone jumping up and down. But, I mean, do they have enough there to get past a, a, a team like Manchester City, who are formidable uh, defensively themselves? Uh, like, I mean, it, it, it seems daft to be even asking you that question when you've got a player of noted calibre like Griezmann. I mean, they should be hoping to at least be able to get a 1-0 on the night and bring it to extra time or whatever. But, I mean, they just, even just looking at the bench there, you know, obviously Suarez is there, but, you know, he's a fading force. Uh, I think they brought on uh, Rodrigo de Paul as well. Angel Correa, uh, Correa came on. Thomas Lamar came on, who was once much vaunted, but you know, was, is he now? I think uh, Cunha came on as well for them. Uh, yeah, is there enough there to get past City? Do you think at all? Yeah, I think there is. Uh, we, we, we know what the what the stadium is capable of. Uh, there'll be an unbelievable atmosphere, and the fans, the fans who go and attend these games, know what's expected of them. So they will play a big part in every time there's a challenge because they'll want free kicks, they'll want corners, they'll be rolling around, they'll be putting pressure on the City. City won't be allowed to play their own game, which they're normally very, very good at. So yeah, I think it is possible. Uh, I think it's very much possible, isn't it? And then the thing is, you know that they won't open up until they have to. So I think this is an uncomfortable second leg for Manchester City. Excellent. Well, I will revel in that, I have to say. Uh as I think we all will, if that's the case. Um, I don't know, I take a sort of extra amount of glee in seeing uh, seeing Pep squirming a bit these days. There's something about the lad that uh, he's become very difficult to tolerate, I think. Uh, he seems very precious in all the interviews he does, very, very little humour about him. and uh, it's, hard to, it's hard to have too much um, 
uh, goodwill towards a lad who's behaving in that fashion all the time. And it seems like the least little uh, pro- provocation at all. And he's, he's, he's uh, like I say, incredibly pretty in his, in his interviews. But look, we'll see how that goes. And we'll be talking about them and Pep uh, towards the end of the show uh, for sure um, before we before we finish because of is looming on the horizon but you know we have one more game that, to look back on that I, I would like to get your take on as well um, and you know probably to be fair a tighter game uh, than, than we'd have liked uh, not not exactly what um, most of us were hoping for in terms of, of, of uh, the it being comfortably put to bed or whatever talk to me a little bit about that most recent out, uh, outing in the in the league. What did what did you make of that? A two 0 win in the end, uh, but it was inco- uncomfortably tight. I think in a way that most people were a bit uncomfortable with. Uh, what did you think of of that performance? I, I remember being a little bit impatient with some of the moaning afterwards because you'll know this as a man who's been part of uh, title winning marches. You you can't win every freaking game. Uh, pulling up. You can't win every game with swaggering, swa- swashbuckling football. You just sometimes just got to win the games, especially in a month like this one. Yeah, and possibly, Trevor, I mean, we, we obviously previewed the game and we maybe didn't pay enough attention to the fact that it was an early kickoff after an international break and and, and, and that would have an impact on, on the players that we said now. We, we left some on the bench and some of the ones who played were a little bit flat. You know, Klopp had asked, because also Klopp knows, he asked the fans, you know, to turn up and give it everything they had. And they sort of did, pre-game and at the first 10 or 15 minutes. But I think then everybody just realised it was just one of those flat early afternoon games at Anfield. Uh, in the end, we got we got the job uh, done. Again, there will be people pointing towards a couple of opportunities that Watford had. Uh, but there can be no doubt again that we were much the better team. And in the end, we got the I just think that if you look at the games now and I've had a little look at it and you think, well, okay, every game is basically a cup final, isn't it? We, I feel we almost have to win every single game uh, to be able to get to where we want to get in. So we have to accept that the only thing that matters is to win. So the performances during games will be up and down and the performance from games to game will be up and down. It can't be any other way. Uh, and it's like, People are talking about if you carry on playing like this, and I kind of go, yeah, what? What will happen if you carry on playing like this? Because for the last six weeks or so, we have played a bit like up and down, up and down in games. We just do enough. We get the games uh, won. We we basically stop conceding goals, which is a big hell business. So, so it's like if you carry on playing like this, what will happen? Probably the same thing as is happening at the moment. We'll continue to win because we're we're such a good team, isn't it? So I'm not really looking for. You know, it's not like if you have to put a board up at the end and give marks and go, that was 10 out of 10. You just put the board up at the end and go, that was another three points. And I think that's how we're playing. And it can be very difficult for the players isn't it? because they know every single game, every single game matters. And, and you said before, this is a really sort of a tense time to be a Liverpool fan. Well, I've, I've got some bad news for you, Trevor, because at no stage between now and the end of the season, we'll be able to put your feet up because you'll be flat to the board for the rest of the season. And your nerves will be be, be, be shredded. There's, there's no way around it. That's just the way that the season's gone, isn't it? There's, there's not in one single competition you'll be able to put your feet up. You'll have to accept that it's going to play fucking hell for you, Trevor. 
<laughs> yeah, but you know the the trade off there uh, for people who are going to moan too much about that is is like I say is the fact that we're in the situation where the games actually fucking matter as opposed to so many uh, clubs who are just looking at yet another fixture to fulfill and can't wait till the season is done because the season is going nowhere for an awful lot of teams. Um, so, you know, I, I know where I'd rather be, to put it that way. Uh, in terms of other features of that Watford outing, like... <laughs> Again, I find it very hard to be too critical. Uh, th- there's going to be, and you know, I was kind of taking the piss today um, on my own Twitter feed about you know these endless, endless debates about uh, who should be doing what in terms of personnel. And uh, n- there's never been, there's never been in in my time supporting the club more uh, sort of divisive situations going on around players. You can actually find people who are otherwise intelligent, sentient humans who will tell you that Jordan Henderson is, and I quote, shite, or that Nabi Keita is, and again, I quote, shite. And there's literally no uh, intelligence to that uh, uh, summary. And people seem to buy into, you know, pick a team, you know, I'm I'm team Henderson or I'm team Keita or whatever happens to be. It's just so fucking embarrassing, yeah. I just, I, I, I weep when I see this kind of thing. Because you're like, what, what, can we not just have an actual discussion without having to be all or nothing? And, you know, the, 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 those chats were flying around, as you might imagine, afterwards. They will continue to be. Uh, and now we've got, like, the biggest game of the season, really, in many ways. If you want to think about the league as being the biggest thing that Liverpool can go for, uh, I'm... I'm very much on the fence about that. Um, and we've got this game against City. And it, it, it's all that people will be talking about between now and then is who's going to go in that midfield situation. Uh, and I think, isn't this just, on one level, isn't it wonderful? Because we actually have choices here now where there's a couple of midfields that could be selected where, you know, nobody could really cry too hard. And we also have a couple of attacking lineups now because there's a comparative amount of fitness in the squad that we were completely unused to where, you know, there's two or three selections there that would terrify the bejesus out of any team, including Manchester City. So like for me, yeah, it's about reveling in the choice because I don't think there's that much difference if you really are going for lads who are in form because we have that many good players. So I am going to put you on the spot though and think and ask you for who you think is the most likely uh uh, three in in the center and three up top, and then and um, who would you prefer? Because it is very much this is a, it's just opinions, and I I I know like from you I'll get balanced opinion based on having watched the players as opposed to some sort of partisan bullshit where you don't like someone. So if you were to pick your three for the city game across the middle and your three across the front, who would they be, and what are you basing that on? So the three in the middle. I would pick Fabinho, Jordan Henderson, and Navigator. Uh, and that's, we're, we're, we're playing. I mean, obviously there's an argument. I think most people would, would, would think that Fabinho and Henderson plays. And then there's a choice between Navigator and, uh, and Thiago. And it's kind of what camp are you in? If you think that Thiago can help us wrestle possession away from Manchester City, then you might save us a play in. But I'm much more the other way where I'm thinking that Naby Keita, with his work without the ball, 
which often goes unnoticed, might be worth more against Manchester City because of Manchester City, because of the way that he reads the game, the way that he's capable of closing people down, the, the way that he's capable of being part of, of, of our press. So that would be the reason that I would go with Naby Keita. Uh, it might be a big ask after having played uh, the game against uh, Benfica, but that would be my choice. Up front, again, Mane and Salah plays for me. Uh, you know, again, I think Klopp will look at it and go, you know, these are my boys until they let me down and I, I don't think there's any benefit of playing them in the biggest, the biggest games they play. And then to go with them, you can make a case for all of them. You can make a case for Bobby Firmino uh, because of the way that you can you can play against City. It's it's very important to have somebody that you can trust the ball with up there when, when sometimes Trent or Robert will have to go long into his feet and then we can play off him. But there's something to be said for sticking Diaz on a, on a flank and putting Sadio Mane uh, through the middle and then him giving the problems that he brings, one of them being his pace. And then, of course, there's a, there's a case to be made for Diego Schotter, the man that doesn't have to play well to be effective, the man who has got an unbelievable eye for goal, the man that has that knack. And I think, you know, that ability he has to get in between defenders and, 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 and be a force in the, in the air uh, so it's tricky and so I would actually go with Salah on the right Mane on the left and Schotter through the middle but I'm not sure that's how Jürgen will go yeah it really is exciting and and, and that's where I wanted to go with to get to, to, to get your feel for who you'd like to go with because then then the next question is who, who's, who's most likely and I think Jürgen has sort of proved over time that you know if he has his his squad fit there he's probably likely to go with, with Fab Thiago and Henderson um, whether whether or not Naby Keita's plays his way in now or not is another one, and that's that's what I'm saying. That's 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 where the that's where the the, the joy comes in because there are a couple of people who can, who can come in, but I think outside of that bundle of four, um, some people would start to say then there's a little bit of a fall off perhaps in terms of uh, impact in really massive games to the likes who can come in after that. So whether it's Jimmy Miller or or Curtis Jones or do you give the kid Elliot a go that kind of thing, uh, that's when perhaps and you know obviously Ox then the next tier then so that's perhaps where 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 it starts to 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 worry people a little bit when you go outside of those four. But I think within those four people are going to be comparatively happy. That's very similar up top, isn't it? And you know, is there an argument to be made that Klopp will go for the tried and trusted uh, Bobby Firmino again when it comes to like you say retention of possession and, and, and playing between the lines and the ability to see something clever and a little bit of lingo play and then there's Luis Diaz who's who's, who's banging form uh, Jota who you mentioned is, is ridiculously effective I want to stop there for a second because I'm, I'm looking at Diogo Jota and I, I know you'll know what I'm talking about here I'm watching him play uh, especially the last two games he really took it to a new level he does this thing and I can't actually remember I can't actually remember too many previous Liverpool footballers who do this. I think Craig Johnson used to do it a bit. Maybe he had a little bit more finesse about him. But what Jota, Jota's style of, of attack is he puts his fucking head down, Jan, and he runs in straight lines. And he might like he might just arc his run slightly, but he's running at absolute top speed. And he seems to be able to hold off defenders until, you know, maybe right at the death. But it's a remarkable, old-fashioned, not very, quite agricultural way he has 
of driving at defences. I, I have to say, I kind of like it. Oh, I think a lot of people like it, Trevor. And it, it can be some, sometimes frustrating, isn't it? Because we talk about all the qualities that he has, and we kind of find it difficult to put him in a box or to find other players to compare him with. Because it's like, what is his actual strength? You know, and what are his weaknesses? And you kind of go, well, I think it's all a bit the same, isn't it? He's, he's, he's very good at everything, probably not outstanding at anything. You know, otherwise, you said maybe maybe the goals in it, but maybe he needs to score 25 goals a year to be to be classed as being outstanding as a goal scorer. But he's just got a little bit of everything, isn't he? He's so very difficult for us sitting in front of the TV or in the stands to, 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 to sort of get a, a hold on how he plays. So you can imagine what it's like to... For, for, for people to try and play against him, isn't it? Because he is very uh, unconventional, isn't it? It's, I mean, there's no doubt that Klopp is thinking, I want to play all five of them. Now, Liverpool fans might say, well, Bobby Firmino of late hasn't played well enough to get a start in birth. Well, I think Klopp will think, but, but it's City and it's just made for Bobby, isn't it? So I think Klopp is thinking, I want to play all five of them. That, that'll be his starting point. He goes, OK, I want to play all five of them. And then he's got to find reasons why not to play two of them. You know, and he's got to go through that lesson. He's going to go, well, okay, what does he give? What does he give? What do we need? And that's how he ended up with who he's going to play with, isn't it? But there's no doubt. I mean, it was only a couple of years ago we played all four. Remember when we went up there and we kind of played a 4-2-4 and for 25 minutes they didn't have a fucking clue what we were doing. But then they settled down and then they took over. Uh, but certainly for the 25, 30 minutes where those front four caused havoc, isn't it? He won't do that again. <laughs> I'm absolutely convinced he'd love to play all five of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, and the thing is, uh, and I hope people are, are bracing themselves for it. Is Jurgen does love love a bit of a, a, a mad one. There's usually a, at least one selection that will, you know, you just know people are going to have to are, are going to be are going to be shocked by at least one thing that he does. And you know, I'll, the reason the reason I'm very at peace with that is because, like I say, the level of the squad has never been higher, and uh, there is depth across. Um, you know, we do have. To start, start to narrow our focus a little bit onto the challenges end of the Reds um, over the next while. And obviously, the first up is City, and we're going to talk about that now for the last part of the show. Uh, but, you know, uh, we'll come out of that and into the second leg against Benfica. We've kind of spoken about that. Uh, that'll be on the Wednesday, and I guess you and I will do a show again on a Thursday. So we'll have those two games to talk about. So at the end, they'll be getting, we've kind of spoken a little bit about Benfica at this stage and, and the and, and the nature of that tie. So we don't need to go into any great depth except to get a, a prediction from you at the end. Uh, so let's take the time that we have then to look at City. And look, um, I heard somebody say about the run-in that they have and how, you know, uh, someone was trying to sell me on the fact that Liverpool's run-in was preferable to City's and I, 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 I wasn't buying it. I'll be, I'll be honest with you, I wasn't buying it. I, it's very hard to see too many teams putting anything up to City at all. But in their most recent outings, it's interesting to look at what they've looked like. Uh, obviously, we know City are going to dominate possession and probably opportunities created and all the rest of it. That's just going to be the pattern of any Manchester City game against any opposition, really, if we're being perfectly honest. And in their uh, recent nil-nil, which was the last sort of disappointing result that they had uh, against uh, Crystal Palace. Uh, 
that was uh, that, the line of that that evening was was Laporte and Stones, Walker and Cancelo. Across the middle, they had uh, Bernardo Silva, Rodri, and De Bruyne, and they went up top with Grealish uh, and Mares either side of Foden. Um, then in the two nil league win, uh, which you know we. <laughs> Uh, we were all had hopes for, I guess, uh, that something might, when the Reds managed to go top after beating Watford. And wow, those hopes were, were, were quickly put to bed. I think Jurgen was even joking about in the, in the post-match presser. They had already gone a, a goal up after a couple of minutes. And that was pretty much that. Their lineup that, that afternoon. Uh, Nathan Aki came in at centre half alongside Laporte. Same full backs. Um, De Bruyne was there again. Rodri was there again. Gundogan came in to midfield. And they had Foden in the middle uh, with Sterling and Grealish uh, nominally either side. And then the Champions League lineup um, in the uh, against uh, Atletico was at two nights ago now. Uh, it was Stones and Laporte again. Nathan Aki played left back. Uh, Cancelo right, De Bruyne, Rodri and Gundogan again, and Mares and Sterling either side of Silva. So they, he's, he's mixing it up a lot, I guess, Jan, is my point. Uh, especially in that front area and this whole sort of movable feast of at least one defender as well. Uh, you compare and contrast that with the Reds. It's like, you know, Jurgen doesn't change that area if he can at all. I mean, he, he like he brought in, um, uh, our, 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 our up and comer. Uh, who had a bit of a mare with his with with his mistake there, uh, but he had a, otherwise an excellent game for for Joel Matip uh, in 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 Canate. But this Pep seems to be a little bit more prone to it, and, and and the reason I'm bringing this up is that little interview I referred to, where he got really prissy recently, was that someone had the audacity to ask him, uh, does he tend to overthink things? And that's like, I think everybody's made that observation about him, that he tinkers a bit too much, especially in the big games, especially against Klopp. Uh, he didn't like that at all. And he started taking the piss and saying, oh yeah, I'll go and play with 12. It's going to be really revolutionary. And all. But he, again, no humor in it. He's just really pissy. Do you think there's an opportunity here that we might see him go galaxy brain on us again? And and and, and I'm I'm looking for little little chinks of hope here, Jan. I mean, what what are you thinking he he does with his lineup against us? What's the most uh, uh, likely uh, City uh, eleven to to take the field? Is Grealish in it, for example? I'm not sure he is. Well, not am I, uh, but no, I don't think he's gonna. Reinvent the wheel. Uh, is he over that? I don't know whether he's over that or not. But it's impossible for him to argue against that because we got enough evidence of him having over thinking things. I mean, he came to Anfield and put, played Laporte as a left back against Mo Salah. Disaster. He played a Champions League game at Spurs where he left De Bruyne uh, on the bench. He played three at the back against Leon. Little things like that. It's enough evidence to suggest that in the past he's over been overthinking things. I don't think he will do on, on, on Sunday. So I think it's just going to be straightforward. Obviously, Reyes is injured, so Laporte and Stones will play walk on the right and sell on the left. I think the midfield three, obviously De Bruyne and Rodri. I think Bernardo Silva will probably get the, the, the nod. Phil Foden came on against Atletico Madrid and played very well. I think he'll start. Uh, Mares, who's their top scorer, he'll start on the right. And it's just what you do on the left. You go Sterling or Grealish. He likes Greenish. Greenish hasn't justified the fee as of yet. 
there's a great player in there somewhere. He hasn't quite shown it yet. Will he go with Sterling? I don't know. So that would be the only one. Does he go Grealish or Sterling on on the left? That would be the only place where I'm kind of thinking he might he might be different. Having said all of that, Trevor, there isn't a lot between Liverpool and Manchester City. But I still think that they think more about this challenge from Liverpool than we think of the challenge from Manchester City. I think we are better prepared to play against them because we will just play our own game. Whereas City, I think, they, they, I think City would be happy to take it to all trouble. Keeps them one point ahead and then hoping they can win the remainder of the games. Yeah, I, I wondered about that as well, I have to say. I did wonder about that. Um, and, I, you know, there was a time when these sort of massive games would come up, you know, you'd have a level of anxiety. And, and there's no complacency here, don't get me wrong, but you, you find yourself looking forward to these games now, Jan, don't you? In a way that's uh, sort of, we haven't experienced before. It's, it's looking forward with a feeling of positivity, not that you have any sort of certainty that we're going we're gonna to do these. It's, this is Manchester City. This is the biggest challenge that we could possibly have. Uh, they've got so many, you've got every advantage under the sun. Um, but you can't help but feel positive going into these games. And that's, geez, that, you, you would pay a lot for that feeling. And, and, and we have it every game. And that's, that's really encouraging in and of itself, isn't it? In the end, how you win football games are by scoring goals, isn't it? And we find it easier to score goals than Manchester City do. We find it easier to create chances. We are not over-reliant on playing well to great chances. In the blink of an eye, we can score a goal. In the blink of an eye, we can take the game away from the opposition, isn't it? Whereas Manchester City is a bit more slow, slow, quick. But you can kind of, you can see it coming. Uh, so take nothing away from them. Like you said, it's the biggest challenge we've got. What will decide it? I'm not sure. But it could be anything or anyone because we've got so many wonderful players to look forward to, isn't it? You know, it's got to be a hell of a game. I hope the game lives up to the hype. I think it will. As I said before, I was at the Etihad on Tuesday and the stadium didn't really catch fire. There's something about them and the Champions League and UEFA and everything and it doesn't work. I think there'll be a great atmosphere there, there on Sunday. And I think it's almost as if the two teams have been waiting for this one. You know, they've just been doing enough in the other games. They've been waiting for this one. And I think they're going to let it all loose. Before I get you, finish off by getting your, your, your predictions for the two games that are coming up, uh, a quick word for the uh, decision to appoint uh, Anthony Taylor and um, Paul Tierney on VAR uh, as two lads. I think both of them actually are from Manchester vicinity, unless I'm very much mistaken. And uh, Tierney has a terrible, particularly awful record in terms of giving um, decisions over the course of this campaign that have favoured City and not specifically not favoured Liverpool. Uh, That's the big fear, isn't it? That the game is decided by one of those lads having a bit of a mare. Please, no, Trevor. (laughs) <laughs> I mean the Premier couldn't couldn't live with that could they? the Premier League worldwide couldn't live with that could they you know they they got to get it right haven't they? they 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 have to get it right I mean at the moment I'm aware of, of, of who the main men in charge are going to be isn't it you know and we take it that they're going to do the outmost and they're going to get it absolutely right and 
when we do this show next, we won't be talking about refereeing influence again because what a shame that would be. I mean, it's very rarely you get games like this, isn't it? And for it being so late in the season as well, you know, I mean, people always talk about Barcelona and Real Madrid and whatever, but this is a game where everything's on the line, isn't it? You know, and also, it will, it will bear an impact on what happens the following week when we play them in the semi-final, the FA Cup, whatever, isn't it? So, please, you know, there's a little sort of prayer to the referees, isn't it? You know what I mean? Bring your A game. Bring your A game. Yeah. Oh, God. 100% I agree with you. Uh, let's just hope that it, that is not even a, a, a topic of conversation at all. Uh, right, let's wrap it up. Uh, looking ahead to those two games, they, they just keep getting bigger and bigger because we have to get past uh, Benfica now, having set ourselves up so nicely. Uh, the, the, anything else is unthinkable at this stage, which is in and of itself its own pressure. And the, we do have to get something out of this city game, you feel, um, even if it is the draw that you uh, thought they might be quite happy with. How do you see both of them going again? So if we take the three best teams in the Premier League over the season, Manchester City, Chelsea and Liverpool, those three teams have played six games between them in all competitions, five Premier League games and the Carabao Cup. Uh, the scoreline between the two of them is 6-6 over the six games. There's been four draws, and that's where I'm heading. You know, I I mean, obviously, when we look at football games, we're always looking to, towards winners, and we want to see a winner and whatever. I, I think this I think this will end the draw. Uh, I still think we'll win the league, uh, but I think this might end the draw. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised as a few... The thing with... City will have their periods where they can quite easily hurt us. And sometimes when we play against lesser teams in the opposition's periods, they can't really hurt us. But, but City are quite capable. So I think it might end the draw, Trevor. Benfica, I think we'll rest a few. Uh, but I still think we'll have more than enough to beat them. They'll be forced to play an open game. So City-Liverpool a draw, 1-1, one, 2-2. One, two, two. I'm not sure. Liverpool-Benfica, 2-0 Liverpool. <laughs> I think a lot of people would uh, bite your hand off for both of those, uh, uh, the way things are currently standing. Um, I'm just going to go ahead and ho- be hopeful that maybe we can um, pick out the two wins because I am famously greedy and I do all, want all the trophies. Uh, so let's just hope that is the case. And Jan, um, it's been a pleasure chatting to you again. Uh, all over the shop, plenty to be talking about. So for another show, thanks very much. Yeah, it just gives you an indication of how big this game is. Because we didn't even have time to talk about Everton. We didn't even have time to talk about Everton, but you know what? That story isn't going away, I don't think. So we're gonna, <laughs> going we're gonna it's going nowhere. So we're gonna have plenty of time to chat about them. And of course there's loads of fun to be had uh with the latest stories about um Mr. Ten Hag and United and all the rest of it. So I look forward to uh, delving into those topics and hopefully we'll be doing it basking in the glow of more Liverpool victories. Keep it here with us for that, folks. I've been Trev Denny. That was Jan Malby. Guy Drinkle is producing in the background. We'll be back with Malby on the spot next week. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. 
You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.